Hi, it's Michael Kerr here presenting Small Business Banter. Welcome into this very special edition of Small Business Banter Community Radio and Podcast. We're going to be running a four-episode series on cooperatives, and the series is brought to you by the Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals, Melina Morrison from the Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals. Over to you. Thanks, Michael. And we are just thrilled to be sponsoring this four-episode series because co-ops, as you know, are really important. They're especially important to small business owners that need to come together to collaborate, to get more of the supply chain or to export or scale and all of the other things that we need to do with other people. So in the four episodes, we'll be hearing interviews that you've done, Michael, with people behind four new cooperatives. And you're digging down on why and how they came about in the first place, why they chose the co-op model, and the difference the co-op structure is making in their business and to their community, of course, because it's all about people before profits. So if you are a current or prospective cooperative and you'd like to learn more about how they run, I really encourage you to listen in and get inspired and learn from others who are actually doing it right now. You can listen to this episode or any of the others by searching up Small Business Banter on your favourite podcast app. Welcome into another edition of Small Business Banter Community Radio and Podcast. Today, interviewing Darren Johnson from Kudos Services, and this is the second interview in the series that the Small Business Banter is undertaking with the Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals, bccm.coop. So uh, this series is, is interviewing current uh, cooperatives and mutuals and, and distilling from them what's involved in running their business as a cooperative or a mutual and, and I guess actively uh, educating and broadening the understanding of what it's like to uh, run a cooperative or mutual and uh, why others should consider it. So thanks very much, Darren, for taking the time to come in and chat today on Small Business Banter. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. You're over in Adelaide. That's correct. Okay, so um, you're the, the Chief Executive Officer of Kudos Services. Why don't we start with a description of what the business is and, um, and, then, um, and then we'll take it from there as to, you know, why that business operating as a cooperative, uh, you know, is, is, um, is, is the, the right way for you to run the business. Sure. So, um, so Kudos Services is a disability um, agency. So we support um, around about six and a half thousand um, children and young people living with a disability to have an independent life. Um, so our specialty is really uh, children and youth. So we would say, um, you know, zero to twenty-five. We don't stop serving people at a certain age, um, but that just tends to be our, our specialty. Um, and uh, our expertise is really in the sort of more complex end of disability. So uh, people that tend to have multiple. Um, issues, I guess, in their life, uh, and we specialise yeah. in supporting them and helping them to be as independent as they can be. 
What's the the history of Kudos Services as a? It's an employee. What? What? You tell me what the strict definition of your you know operating model is and and how it came about. Yeah, sure. So so today we're structured as a a non distributing employee owned not for profit mutual, um, which is a bit of a mouthful. Wow. But basically, it means that's an acronym and a half. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> but basically, it means the staff um, or, or what we call members who are our staff um, own the business, um, but they don't take a financial dividend out of the business. It's still a not-for-profit, um, but the the staff themselves have a lot of say in the directions that we go in and how we choose to operate. Okay, so they, so it, it I'll come back to something more along the lines uh, of you know how the and why the employees you know want that model, but how how did Kudos was formed in its current form in 2018, I think it was, but but it, as a business had existed prior to that? Um, not as an independent business. So basically the, the, the heritage of Kudos is as a government department. So um, um, prior to the NDIS coming in, which of course most of your listeners will, have, will know of, um, the, the disability um, funding sat within state governments rather than federal government. And so we were... Um, the heritage of us was a group of people that were a government department. We're part of what was in Adelaide called Child and Youth Health. Um, and we were the disability service arm of that. Um, and as the disability funding moved to a national model, the state government really didn't feel that they could offer services anymore directly. Um, and so we got to this point of saying, well, yeah, we were a highly specialised um, service for complex um, children and young people. Um, that was supported by government uh, at, at a state level, but under a, under the new model, we just didn't really fit. And so the government initially looked at, you know, would someone buy the service or take it on uh, as a commercial offering? And that, that didn't really work. Um, right. Nobody right. was interested in, in doing that. And so they ran into this dilemma of, well, who's going to provide the services to these um, complex case children and young people uh, under this new model, and the answer um, was to spin it off as a, a service owned by the staff. Um, and, that, and that, as you said, was in 2018. And so, around 90 people left um, the government department and formed formed Kudos um, uh, yeah, four years ago now. Wow! So it's fascinating on a, on a couple of levels. One is that you know the the, the state government. Um, acknowledged that they weren't going to be able to deliver. Did how actively did they try to, um, in inverted commas, sell off the business? Was it a um, look? A, there was a, there was express. They 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 basically met with the major parties in in South Australia that was sort of the size and um, capability to run that service. Uh, and um, there was various levels of interest. But it, it, I think the thing about specialising in complex clients is the the NDIS model. Um, doesn't pay any different whether whether you're dealing with a complex case or a simple case. It's the same hourly rate. So there wasn't a lot of commercial um, interest in in being the complex specialty, um, and it yeah, really okay. needed to sit with not for profits. And the challenge, I guess, for not for profits is trying to take on ninety people in a, in a, in one big mouthful is uh, tends to be a, yeah. a big payroll and a bit scary. So um, so there was there was interest, but it, it didn't really get a lot of traction. 
um, because the commercial viability was very uncertain. And of course, we're talking about a time where everybody was uncertain how this system was going to work. So yeah. most of these businesses were unsure about their own business models, let alone considering taking on 90 odd people and a whole heap of, of complex mm. clients at the same time. Wow. So, so the, the, did a lot of the employees at that time, uh, are they still with Kudos now? Uh, yeah, look, obviously there's there's general turnover uh, and we do, uh, yeah. and people, some people have stayed and some people have left, um, but it has been a popular um, outcome. Um, some people have returned to government into different roles um, over time, but largely we still have a really strong cohort of those original uh, people that are still with the, the business. So we, we often joke that, you know, we're four years old, but we've got staff that have worked for us for 20 years, uh, which it sounds strange, yeah. um, but it kind of is the way it's worked. Um, you know, the, the, the business is new, um, but the heritage of it has a long background. Right. So so those, the, there were some uh, in entrepreneurs or very committed staff who were, were the founding members of of the new organization is that how like to get to get the cooperative employee i can't remember the acronym for your long um you know description of the business but it's essentially employee-owned cooperative so there must have been a few key employees that um rallied to to get the cooperative off the ground um yeah so look at at the time the um the ndia were instrumental which is the agency behind the ndis of course they were instrumental in this because they could see that we provided a a critical service um and um the the government department and sa was actually initially a trial site for the ndis in south australia and so we had quite a bit of experience and the real concern from the ndia is all that experience would just be dispersed if we if yeah. we sort of see services that all those clients and those people would have just drifted into multiple different organisations, and that real uh, sort of uh, hardcore experience would would be lost, um, and the agency was really concerned about that. So um, there was always this intention to try and find a way to keep this group of people together and operating as a as a business. Yeah. So, the, uh, is it fair to say that the the commitment of a of a core um, group of people to d- continuing to deliver that service was paramount. So maybe at, at both at government support level, but also at the employee, the you know the employees that actually do you know deliver the services. It must it, was that a a, a real um, you know s- central point of focus that we can't you know we can't stop delivering such a, a vital service. Um, yeah, I think that was definitely critical to the success of it is it was always clear that there were a committed bunch of individuals um, that really wanted to work in this space and and that made the um, the concept of a mutual which you know at the time none of the people would, none of the staff involved had you know heard of that sort of concept really um, but it, it gave them the 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 confidence that they could take that risk um, because in the end it was a choice I mean they, they they given that they were in public service they had an option to be redistributed they, they could have stayed in in public service and they would have uh, ended up you know shifting into aged care or other other areas where their skills were um, required but um, they could see that there was a possibility here and uh, and took the brave step of really electing to leave the security of public service and move to what well, at the time would, would have was regarded as a, a pretty risky move you know a new new sort of concept first in Australia uh, as a public service um, spun off mutual 
Um, so it was a it was a brave yeah. step, but they had that committed group of people that had worked together for some time and, and, and were confident that they could they could make this work. Yeah, look, it, it seems to be, you know, at, at the core of um, a lot of businesses, whether they're for profit, family, whatever, that, you know, there's a, a you know, a core group of people with a, you know, focus on, you know, on, on delivering something that's very, you know, close to them. So yeah, as, as employees, it must have been... Um, you know, very big step. They they they're going into an an organisational structure that isn't about profit. It's about um, what? How how do you think they saw the the benefits for them as employees going from a call you know a safe secure role in in government organisation to being a founding employee member of a cooperative and possibly an uncertain future. How do you think they thought about it as, a, as employees? Um, yeah, look, it's a really good question. It's, it, it would have been, a, it was a very difficult and stressful time for them. I mean, um, public service is a very secure and, and safe employment background. Um, and they all knew that taking this leap, it may or may not work. Um, you know, there was a lot of belief and there was a lot of faith that we, that it could work, um, but there was never any guarantee. And, and in the end, they, they yeah. all faced that individual choice to decide, um, you know, do they want to pursue this as an exciting new option to try something different or stay with the safety of public service? And so, you know, in many ways, I'm very grateful that that original group of people were all willing to take that chance. But I think what they could see um, was that they provided such an essential service that really was important to so many people um, and they just couldn't step away from that. So it was that passion for their clients and for their families that they mm-hmm. serve that really made them be prepared to take that chance. Um, and I guess yeah, we're um, yeah. constantly grateful for them for having done that. Yeah, for sure. And on today's edition of Small Business Banter Community Radio and Podcast as part of the uh, series on cooperatives and mutuals sponsored by Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals. We're talking with Darren Johnson, who's the Chief Executive Officer at Kudos Services. Darren, that brave step by those employees into the unknown that we just talked about, what practical support were they able to access to help them through that? You know, the incredibly you know, brave step to do that. But obviously, uh, there, you know, there's a core of people that were very committed to continuing to deliver the service. What what was their practical support? How, how did they progress through confidently this decision? Yeah, helped so, so the NDIA and the state government um, fairly quickly in exploring the idea of this, um, once the idea of a mutual had sort of come to, to, to mind, um, consulted with the BCCM and the BCCM were instru- instrumental in the setup of Kudos. So, yeah. so they, they provided some, um, I, I suppose, um, consulting type support. They, they helped create an initial founding board. Um, they went and took some of those members um over to the UK to do a study tour because um, employee-owned mutuals uh, operating in the disability sector um, are more common in the UK. So they went and visited some similar models um, and and were able to bring back that knowledge and experience. Um, And in addition, at the time, we had a a thinker in residence in South Australia, which is a government program, and a gentleman had been here um, 
only a year or so before, who was a, a gentleman called Dr. Guy Turnbull, and he was a um, uh, a man who had established uh, mutuals running in the disability centre uh, sector in the UK, uh, and so he was also his experience was also instrumental in the state government believing that this could work as a model. So the BCCM were very, very important in that. They helped form our initial constitution, our legal structure, our governance structure. Um, you know, they were very supportive and they also ran um, education sessions for our, for the staff that could consider about making this move. Uh, some of the education, did, did it cover this straddling the role of being a very good employee employee and also an owner and, and it's an in this case uh, you know you don't get a share of the profits I, I you know I assume that the you know profits that are made go back into you know kind of delivering more and better services um, but you know straddling the responsibilities of being a good employee and an owner how was that some of the training yeah, look, that was. I think that was one of the things that was um, was important, but really was hard for the um, for the members to really appreciate until the move actually occurred. And so it's been an, it's been a real ongoing learning journey around what that right. actually means for people. Um, you know, I think, uh, and, and I think what it meant for individuals is all different. You know, I think some people thought it would mean. Um, you know, workplace democracy where every decision is voted on by members, et cetera. But the reality is that doesn't work either because, you know, we're a, a typical business. We've got to be agile and we've got to make decisions. Um, but over time, it's really um, become a lot more obvious as to how they have a role and a say uh, and, um, and in particular around how they exercise their right as an owner to, um, to A, appoint the board, which is a critical part of yep. being an owner is they appoint the board, and also to hold um, myself and the management team uh, accountable for how um, we manage the business. Okay, yeah. But it, it, as you say, it's, um, it, it's, a, big, it's a big step and, and it wasn't a straddled straight away. It's a, a, an ongoing thing. I mean, one of the things we want to, uh, you just pointed to it quite correctly, that you, you're running a business. And this series is all about encouraging more communities or groups of people to consider cooperatives or mutuals as an ownership model for vital businesses in that community. And, and yesterday, or in the first episode of this series, I spoke to Galactic IT out of Perth, who's a repairs electronic equipment and um, in uh, for labs over there. And just recently, there was a great article about the Sea Lake Hotel, which is now cooperatively owned because, um, you know, the the owner of the pub there had enough. They tried to sell it, couldn't, so the community was faced with this choice of do we want a pub or not and if we want one, we have to go and do it ourselves. So this, you know, this whole series is about saying it is it is possible to um, to have a different ownership model to to ensure the ongoing viability of businesses, but it means stepping up as members or employees. And and so that, you know, that um, we want to make sure that, it, you know, organisations, communities considering it know that there's lots of support. BCCM is a fantastic place to start. Um, but, you know, you, I guess you're saying it's um, you are running a business and it, and, it, and it won't all sort of be neatly tied up so that you can operate, you know, straight away as a, fully functioning cooperative tomorrow, you'll need to, you know, invest in ongoing 
training and and uh, education and 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 I guess your role as a CEO is a is a you know tip of the hat to that. It, you know, at some point, it the business um, aside from the member owners or employee owners needs you know professional management as well. Yeah, correct. I think um, I think it's it's one of those. Um, important recognition pieces that the the members um, need to go through, and it isn't a bit of an evolution for them. Um, but yeah, our model's relatively clear that yeah, the, the the members appoint the board, the board appoints the CEO, and the CEO appoints the management team, and management team has to be able to manage. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and where the members have a voice is that. They get to be involved in that process, and they also get to hold uh, the management team to account for that process. And it's really a, um, probably the only business model I can think of um, that truly allows I- employees um, to do that. Um, you know, it's one of these one of the reasons I'm so excited by the model, particularly for say disability care or social services or aged care is the model creates an in uh, what I call a DNA level accountability to the team. So, um, you know, we have values and statements that we operate to. Um, and if I was to, you know, try and direct the team away from those or just to make, you know, pure commercial decisions, the team gets to say no. They get to say, no, sorry, that's not what we signed up to. That's not what um, we're about, um, and there's a structure in place for the for the staff to, in effect, um, dismiss my role. Um, they have that capability in our governance structure. They can call a meeting of the board, and they can in essence say to the board, "This person isn't managing this business the way we think it should be managed. Um, you need to take some action. And if you're not prepared to take some action, we'll put a new board in that will." Um, and you know that just creates a, 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 an accountability that's just two ways. So whilst yeah. I've got to run the business and the, and the staff on a day-to-day basis need to you know, respect management and, and um, accept work instructions and so on, at the same time, uh, there's a dual accountability there that they get to say, you're not delivering on what, we, what this promise is and we, we, we're going to make a change. Yeah, as you hinted at, it's not it's not about everyone having a say on everything. There's uh, the good you know good employees need to be um, it, it, the setup needs to support them continuing to be very good employees first and foremost, even if they are a, a you know a founding employee owner um, or member. And then, you know, as you say, then you have um, a board who sets you know strategy and direction and appoints a CEO and um, and CEO is accountable. So yeah, it, it, it's it's very possible to, you know, um, to alleviate any sense that you know a, a worker-owned, employee-owned property, you know, is a is a mix of you know things. It, it, this governance structure outline is kind of makes that very clear, doesn't it? It's uh, who who does what and who you know who should continue to be an employee, who should continue to set policy or, or strategy. Yeah, correct. So if, I guess for our, um, our, our members that are living the experience day to day, it just feels like a, a workplace that um, I guess 
really appreciates them and respects them, but it gets on with doing its job. Um, so there's probably no doubt that we do take consultation with our staff probably a little bit more seriously than some businesses do. You know, some businesses yeah. um, 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 do that really well and others less so, and we're certainly not very hierarchical because that sort of doesn't work okay. in this model as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, you know, given the area that we operate in, um, there's a really strong natural fit to that. Um, that, that, you know, our staff are all highly qualified, very professional people um, who want to be able to have a say and, and, this, and this structure gives them a vehicle to, to be able to do that but also allows them to also just get on with their job too and, and know that there is a management structure in there that will facilitate that for them. Yeah, and, and, and you, they are expert and it's a critically important service to keep up and running you know that's why it was, it's why it was there in the first place, and why it was and ended up in this you know 2018 as kudos services. So yeah, to get employee commitment and engagement and uh, effectiveness is so you know, so paramount for every organisation and incredible job. So day to day, does it have any impact that as a business that you're a, a employee owned cooperative from an external perspective with clients with with suppliers, funders. Look, I think I think what our what our external um, so clients etc will experience is a, just a really strong commitment to best practice. Um, so um, we we still deliver most of our services in community, which is a rare model in the disability sector. Now it tends to be moving towards you know people establishing clinics and people come in to see a therapist in the clinic. Um, but we we. Um, we sort of back that trend. Um, so, sorry, when you say in community, that means you know you 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 go out. You're yeah, so we so we see our, our children and young people in their homes, right. at their school, in their workplace, just in their normal uh, what we call natural environment. Yeah. So um, so whether they're seeing a speech um, pathologist or an occupational therapist or a psychologist or a physio, or it doesn't really matter what services we're providing, we're actually out there doing it in their community, not not through a clinic structure. Um, and so that's probably the main thing our, our external clients see is that we just deliver our services in a different model because we're not bound by the um, commercial sort of focus that others um, tend to be bound by. So, um, you know, one of the things we've been able to do in South Australia is we've started to return services to regional parts of South Australia. Um, right. Yeah. Whereas there's been, generally speaking, commercially, it's not overly viable. And so most of the uh, providers have sort of pulled out, whereas we're going the opposite way. We're going, actually, we're starting to start services up in the regional area because our, our staff want to do that. They, they want to support people in the regions. Um, and um, when you've got the will of the staff behind you, you can, you can find a way to make it work. So I think what our um, clients see is, is just that, it's, that we just operate a little bit differently, a little bit more compassionately um, and, um, and just uh, slightly different to our commercial competitors, shall we say. Yeah, well, you yeah. know, as soon as you have that rent overhead and you know you want to you want to use it and so you know i can see why this is you're as an organization you're embedding yourself in the community i mean and you're going to them and um as opposed to saying well you know here's our opening hours and not not being critical but i i think it's one of the when i you know think about what a cooperative or a mutual is or could be that there's the in your case it's not for profit so 
you, you want to be financially viable, but you want to use the surplus um, to create, um, you know, to employ more people or do whatever, you know, you do, you know, to grow the business and deliver more services. But it's also this, you know, more direct connection with a community and whether it's a, a regional or a metro community, it I imagine it'd be quite, um, you know, quite visible for that model of seeing clients where it would you call where they you know in their natural environment, uh, you know as a as a you know really personalised caring kind of service that you know maybe even um, uh, you know sets you apart from your competitors just on on that level. Um, yeah, I think so, and I think it's only deliverable. Um, with the support of the staff to make that work. Right. So, you know, the, the, you know, as an organisation, we've, we've actually deliberately considered how we want to deliver services and we've deliberately considered um, the types of clients that we want to support. And what was really clear from the members um, was the commitment to work with complex um, children and complex families, yeah. um, which you know, is not the most commercially um viable sector of the market. The way the NDIS works, the hourly rate is paid the same, whether you're dealing yeah, with a complex yeah. case or not. Uh, yeah. And so to commit to that section of the market really takes um, the staff and the owners of the business to say, no, this is where we want to play. This is what we like doing. This is what we're good at. Um, this is where we can make a substantial difference. Um, and the team have sort of deliberately thought that through. It's not been a... Um, you know, a kind of coincidence. It's, it's at times yeah. we've actually deliberately sat there and gone, you know, is this the right model? And the, and the, the team have consistently said, yep, this is what we want to deliver. Um, so those are very conscious choices. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of a year or so ago now, we sat down and wrote another three-year plan. And the, the first sort of line of that is to say that we're an organisation that embraces complexity. Um, we like doing yeah. the challenging yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think that gives a lot of job satisfaction to people that work in this space. I think one of the frustrations of working um, in the more commercial orientated area is that they, for, for dollars and cents reasons, often can't deliver best practice. They often can't deliver the services the way they would like to deliver them, um, yeah. whereas we can sort of facilitate that. Um, by making that commitment to it. And look, it also helps that we were structured under the NDIS. So we're also incredibly lean. Um, we've deliberately structured ourselves that uh, we don't have a lot of administration people. We don't have a lot of back office. Um, we outsource that sort of services when we need it. And we keep ourselves sort of very lean and agile and um, focused on actually delivering the services, not not creating an accounts department or a, um, yeah. a finance team, et cetera. We just bring that in when we need it. Um, and in the meantime, we just uh, focus on delivering the services to the clients. Yeah, which is, you know, as you say, you use all that management terminology of agile and innovation and, you know, and focusing on, on the core service. But, you know, again, it, to, to link it back to a cooperative and, and an employee-owned cooperative, it's a, it's a really outstanding example of where, you know, the employees can direct through the, through the governance uh, process Um what the organisation stands for and, and who, you know, the kind of work it will do. It's re it's really powerful. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I, 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 you know, that's why cooperatives and mutuals beyond um, the, 
the obvious financial things, you know, you can you can set an agenda. You can you can do yeah, things I, differently. I think it's I think it is a very powerful model and I'm we're very keen for others to think about it, particularly in the disability and aged care spaces, which is sort of the areas that we know well. Um, because um, you know, there, we have seen over the years some difficult stories and, and I think all your listeners would be aware of the Royal Commission into Aged Care and Disability and it's it's been uncovering uh, at times some pretty horrific things. And sort of my thoughts on that are that, you know, I don't think any of those organisations, even ones that have been involved in situations that have resulted in even, even a death of a person, I don't think largely they set out that. I don't think anyone in their management plan said we're going to treat people to the point that it, they, they may be at risk. I think what happens is the commercial pressures um, of trying to operate a business means that over time, you know, the management team does a cut here and a cut here and a cut here and a shortcut there. And, and before you know it, you've drifted a long way away from where you should be. And I think one of the things in an employee-owned mutual is because the owners are invested in the business and, and they are the people delivering the services, um, they, they get to say no. They get to say, hang on, that's not right and we're not going to do that. And um, there's not too many models that really allow that. Um, you know, I recently was talking to a, someone in government and they're saying, well, yeah, but you're not much different to a not-for-profit, surely. And I'm like, well, no, we're actually very different to a traditional not-for-profit. Um, as those businesses get larger, even as a not-for-profit, you know, management makes the decisions and the staff have to follow them. Um, whereas we create a model where the staff can go, hang on, that's not right. I'm not doing that. That's that's not good for my client. I'm not making that yeah. decision. And yeah. and that's really the truly unique thing compared to, you know, not-for-profits or other businesses in our sector is the staff's ability to say, no, that's not right. I'm not doing that. Well, yeah, it's, it, it's, it could be um, considered like one-way traffic. The example you were, you were referring to there is, you know, uh, you know, man, no one sets out to do the wrong thing, but, um, you know, management makes a cut. Uh, management makes a cut, um, you know, makes it harder for employees. Employees get less connect or stay, you know, aren't as connected with the, the purpose of the organisation. Uh, maybe, you know, aren't as engaged, you know, with what they do because it, it can feel a bit overwhelming that they don't have a say. So again, it loops back to you know the the model you've got, and I agree entirely that you know it's very different to a, a you know a not for profit and and a for profit you know because of that in, that in level of uh, influence and uh, that a, that an employee in an organisation like yours can have if they're conscious and um, you know active. Yeah, correct, um, and um, and they really do feel um, connected to the business, and that the business is yeah. theirs, and um, and you know that does just create a whole different perspective in terms of getting up and going to work each day, um, in in knowing that you're actually a part of something, you're actually part of building something, not just a you know um, a cog in the wheel, so to speak. Yeah. So, um, just a, a slight change of direction, Darren. Um, you, you're, you're the CEO. You've had a long, you know, wide experience in running businesses, not for profits. Um, you've been, you know, in for other uh, organisations as well. What are your main challenges day to day? And you've got a, you know, pretty substantial and highly qualified board. How do, how do they help you and and the team of employees? 
Yeah, so I guess for us, we're still actually quite new. So we have that strange balance of having a long heritage, but we're still actually a startup. So um, so whilst the, the staff came out of government, they were really operational people. Um, we didn't have, um, you know, they, they came out, but we didn't have an IT system. We didn't have offices. We didn't have HR. We didn't have um, all the systems that businesses need to survive. So for the last couple of years, it's really been an, uh, an establishment process, really, of getting all those things in place, um, finding our footing. Um, this year, we've just turned our first surplus. Um, you know, not surprisingly, as a startup, you know, you tend to, um, you know, um, struggle to, to, to pay the bills initially and, yep. and, and you've got to attract clients. Um, yep. And I guess un- unusually we started off with 90 people. So we didn't start up with a couple of us. It was um, it was a pretty big payroll straight away. So, so really the last couple of years have been about establishing that. And what's really exciting for us now is that we've got to that point. Um, so we're up to about 160 members now um, and we've really just sort of found our footing. We've, um, we're growing um, – you know, very, very quickly. Um, my biggest problem at the moment is trying to manage that growth is that we we um, don't have a lot of capital behind us being a startup. Um, so we can't just go, all right, we're going to employ 30 more people today. But but I could actually do that. You know, I've got enough demand to do that. Um, but it's a, it's a case of actually slowly in having the patience to say, right, we've got a bit of a surplus behind us. Now we're reinvested in the business. Right. Uh, and and when and and a lot of that is in staff. Is that the investment? Yeah, primarily. I mean, if if people, um, you know, a lot of people haven't worked in disability or may not sort of you know really understand what it's like. But it's not that different to being a law firm or an accounting firm. You know, our, 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 um, we we earn money off the time that our staff spend with clients. So so I think when we actually look at our cost structure, about ninety five percent of what we spend is is wages on staff. You know, we don't actually have to spend a lot else. Um, we um, we we really are a people orientated business. Um, there's a small amount of equipment. We need some cars. We need an office to base ourselves out of. But in essence, um, the growth for us is in people. Um, yeah. When we've got more clients, we need to just um, attract some more mm. therapists that sort of match that demand. Yeah. So you're always matching, you know, the client revenue and and and, and largely um, the cost of. Uh, the investment in people wages. I mean, it's it's the profile of just so many small businesses across the country, and probably large businesses as well, for that matter. You know, and so the upside in a lot of businesses, irrespective of their operating model, whether it's not for profit it, or prof, for profit or social enterprise or whatever it is, is in getting more out of out of staff, and that's not in a you know like a sucking the life out of them it's 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 engagement and it's um effectiveness and so you know the the model you talk about here is um you know is is high on on its capacity to 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 engage staff and it's um it's proving out with you know good growth excellent growth for you yeah, agree, and um, and I guess one of the challenges of us being a specialist in complexity too is we can't just go back to the graduate pathway. I mean, we can we can take us on a certain amount of graduates, and we we have a graduate program that we run, and and we take a number of graduates each year. But we actually need to be attracting experienced 
qualified people because um, we're, we're dealing with more complex end of our clients. And uh, so internally, we sort of talk about having a one in four ratio where um, for every graduate or new, you know, fairly new staff member we may have, we need to have three people around them that are considerably more experienced um, to be able to support um, them to engage with our types of clients and to and to to be able to support our families, yeah, it's been an interesting yeah. process. So that often yeah. means you know attracting people to leave other businesses and to come and join um, join us um, because we need people that have actually got a bit of experience behind them, as well as bringing on a pipeline of graduates um, that we can we can sort of shape as well. Yeah, getting getting that blend or that balance right. Yeah, correct. Um, particularly because um, of the the focus on working in the more complex end. Um, yeah. You know, we need we need to have um, uh, a group of highly experienced practitioners. So one of the things that we offer, as well as having. Um, say a management structure where everyone will belong to a team and they'll have a team leader and then a manager. Um, we also have um, what we call clinical leadership. So we've got um, six roles within our team which are uh, experts in actually the, the various fields that we operate in. So a clinical lead psychologists, a clinical lead physio, et cetera, et cetera. So that the staff not only can talk to their um, you know team leader and their management team, but if they're dealing with a complex situation, they can actually um, – go and talk to an expert in their developmental yeah. field yeah. Um, because the, t- the two things aren't always the same. You know, the team leaders and managers can't be a- an absolute expert in six or seven yeah. different allied yeah. health professions. Yeah. No, look, and, and it, it, it makes so much sense, you know, as an, you know, as an organisation to to build that IP, for want of a better term, and, and to, you know, to share it around and, um, you know, because that's, you know, the, the – a really effective way for the organisation to kind of uh, deliver its services well across, you know, a, a fairly complex um, set of services and, a, you know, and the client base is, you know, quite challenged in a lot of cases by the sounds. I want to get your sense of for a cooperative or a, a thinking about being a cooperative listener, what, what would your – um, advice be to them to go about getting a cooperative off the ground. What what are the the things that you would point them towards to you know to to go through the what they need to go through to get get a cooperative off the ground for whatever their business is and for whatever their reasons are. Yeah, look, I think um, I think the key thing, I mean, engaging the BCCM is important. I mean, that is the body in Australia that really um, has a depth of knowledge in how to structure um, these organisations, whether you're um, looking at a mutual that's owned by suppliers, such as a lot of the agricultural ones, yep. or employee-owned like we are, or customer-owned like some of the credit unions and other other groups. Um, you know, there's a wealth of information within the BCCM, and yep. they are... Uh, have been instrumental in helping us to establish. Um, I still um, engage with them very regularly um, yeah. to to and stay up to date with what's happening and and to to get their advice and support as we as we develop. Um, and um, and I think the other thing too is just having a real clear sense of the purpose that you want to achieve in the in in creating a cooperative. Because if you can if you can hold true to that purpose, it will motivate people to um to work through a, a, a more unusual model um which you know these 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 businesses are they're not the, the, the standard um yep. 
And I think it's almost, it needs to have that sort of underlying purpose behind it to have people to take that risk and, and, and take this step, I think. Um, and most cooperatives achieve things that um, you know, your average commercial business doesn't achieve. So there needs to be that sort of uh, underpinning reason as to why you would go down this pathway. Yeah, that's that's a real magnet for um, certainly employees, probably a, a good board and probably clients. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, and certainly in the in the area we operate in, Allied Health in particular is regarded as a very thin market for employing people. And there's lots of um, businesses in Adelaide that will say, you know, they've, they've had roles open for months and months and months and can't get people to, to, to come across to them. Um, we haven't found that. So we've, we've, we've brought on about 50 to 60 people in the last 12 months. Um, and in a very it's against the tide, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, um, and, and what we're finding is, is people are really attracted by this idea. You know, this is a different concept of work. Um, it's, and it's something that people are really excited by. Um, and are willing to to potentially make a shift to achieve. So I guess that's another hidden benefit, I suppose, is that in a difficult recruitment environment, these different structures are really attractive to people that want to do some, try something a little bit different. Yeah, I, in all the work I do, I, I deal with a lot of small business owners, and therefore, you know, you know, you're, you're privy to all of their personal and their staff's opportunities, issues, challenges, and um, this this thing of purpose, this concept of purpose is is, is so you know incredibly powerful, and 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 it's okay. So in some cases, purpose can be profit. <laughs> you know, it's. There are organisations that function effectively, do good things, but for there's so many other small business owners and employees and communities that care more than just about profit. They, and in some cases, they desperately need to look past profit to you know got to be viable, but to just uh, renew ongoing delivery of a key service, whether it's um, health or whether it's having a pub in town or whether it's whatever it might be. So yeah, yeah. It, you know, it keeps uh, ringing true for me that uh, have a clear purpose, as you said, and that kind of it, it sort of everything else can, the, what BCCM could provide in terms of, you know, setting up a governance structure and an operating structure, all of that sort of fits nicely when, when you're clear about what you stand for and, you know, it flows effectively through employees and the board. And yeah, I agree. And and you know, we're structured as a not-for-profit, which is the choice that we've made. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a for-profit mutual, um, because in the end, um, where that profit is distributed is to a much more um, balanced and, and I guess democratic sort of sort of way. So you know, we are a not-for-profit, but if we weren't, if we were a for-profit, um, then the mutual structure would mean that all of our staff would get an equal share in the benefits. Um, you know, we operate on a one-person, one-vote model, which is how cooperatives work. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the, the CEO or the receptionist, you end up with an equal say or an equal share. So in a for-profit model, um, that would just simply mean that the, the wealth of the business is distributed amongst all of the all of the owners equally. Um, and uh, and that's, a, you know, a, a great and exciting idea as well. So, you know, people don't need to consider this as just a model for not-for-profits. Um, they're, it's a it's a fantastic model for um, a business that does need to make profit that wants to actually share that equally with the 
with the staff or their customers or their or their suppliers, depending on on which way they're structured. Yeah, yeah. Horses for courses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Darren, I think that's a pretty good note it, it, to end on. That was um, it. Really thoroughly enjoyed the discussion and your your take on you know your business and and the model of mutuals and cooperatives and employee owned. Um, been really insightful. Thank you so much for your time. I wish you and the employees and board at Kudos Services all the very best. Yeah, thank you. We, we're, we're having a good time. We're really enjoying it. It's exciting. It's different. Um, and I just um, would encourage your listeners to, to give it some serious thought. Um, you know, it is, a, it is an alternative model um, that, 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 that does require a level of risk, but the rewards are there if, if, you, can, if you can make that uh, journey. And, and plenty of support, as you've rightly said, along the way. So, yeah, be brave and uh, if it's important, take that step. Correct, yeah. And, and yeah, as I said, there is plenty of support and there's uh, a growing movement, I think, um, coming that this is uh, a really viable and, and uh, different way to structure work, uh, workplaces in the future. Yes, it sure. It just feels like it is, you know, again, the time, uh, you know, for, for cooperatives and mutual. So, yeah, power on. Thank you very much, Darren Johnson. Thanks, Michael. I've really enjoyed it. Well, what a great conversation. And thanks for listening in to this episode, which is part of a four-part series on co-ops brought to you by Michael Kerr at Small Business Banter and the BCCM, the Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals. And if you're interested in setting up or running your existing cooperative, we love to help you. And we have lots of tools, information and advisors. You can find everything you need to know about how to contact us on our website, which is bccm.coop. That's co-op or coop. And you can listen to the rest of this interview or search up any of the others on Small Business Banter on your favourite podcast app.